most new boutique owners buy a lot of what they like versus what that ideal customer would like. You have to always remember that it's not about you. It's about your customers. There are things that I've brought into shift that, you know, I would never wear. However, this is something that my ideal customer would wear. So you always have to remember um, your ideal customer and keep her or him at the forefront when you are making inventory decisions. Hi, Offscripters. It's your host, Sewa Ajay Pele, and welcome to episode 85 of the She's Offscript podcast. This is a show where we hear and learn from women who've created unique blueprints for success. My hope is that you'll hear their stories and translate their gems into a unique path for yourself. In today's episode, we meet retail strategist and boutique owner, Jasmine Bowdry. Jasmine has been in the retail industry as a buyer, stylist, or boutique owner for over 16 years. She started her career with the likes of Saks Fifth Avenue and Tiffany & Co. Today, Jasmine teaches people how to launch and scale successful online boutiques. These days, it seems like everyone is launching an Instagram boutique, and while launching may be easy, doing so successfully is another story. During our conversation, Jasmine shares tips on the startup capital you will need to launch your boutique, how to source inventory, how to use social media to drive traffic to your website, and so much more. Grab your notebooks because Jasmine came ready with the gems. Before we hear the rest of Jasmine's story, I would love it if you could subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes. This will help to spread the word about our podcast so amazing stories like Jasmine's can continue to inspire women looking to launch their own off-script journeys. With that, let's go off-script with the CEO of Shift Style House Boutique, Jasmine Baldry. Jasmine Baldry, welcome to She's Off-Script. How are you today? I am wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. So for any of our listeners who haven't heard of you, could you share who you are and what you do? Of course. My name is Jasmine Bowdry, also known as the boutique teacher at times. I am the founder and CEO of Shift Style House, which is the online destination of versatile fashion for the modern day Renaissance woman, as well as the boutique teacher where I teach emerging boutique owners how to um, start launch and scale their online business. You at one point found yourself working for the likes of Tiffany & Co. as well as Saks Fifth Avenue. But at some point in your career, you started to feel stuck. What about the work you were doing for them made you feel stuck? Yeah. So um, my degree is in fashion merchandising. So I've always been in the retail and fashion space um, for over probably 15 years. And as a buyer, um, you know, it's pretty cool because it mixes kind of the, the analytical side plus the creative and kind of combines the two worlds. Um, however, at the time, um, when I was working for Saks, this was, well, Tiffany and Saks, this was back in New York city. And it was around the time that, you know, we were getting into, the recession. So, you know, mm. kind of similar, you know, kind of what's going on, um, these days, but you know, 2008 was, was really bad. So it was just where you just kind of feel stuck. Like, is this really what I want to do? Um, I felt like I was, you know, in a box and that I could only work in fashion because this was my degree. This is what I've done. And so I actually transitioned and went to grad school and went and got my MBA because I just wanted to see if, um, 
there was other things that I wanted to do. But after, you know, spending thousands on that education, I mm-hmm. didn't realize that, um, okay, now I'm going to go back to buying. <laughs> but why the MBA? Why did you decide that that was the next logical step when you felt stuck? Yeah. So I felt that getting an MBA was the next logical step because of that, um, that kind of number side that comes with being a buyer. So I felt that perhaps I may want to do finance. I wasn't necessarily sure, but I knew that having an MBA, um, would allow me, you know, other opportunities to work at fortune 100 companies. If I, you know, wanted to work in finance or marketing or something like that. And at this time, I would say probably money was the main motivator for that is that, you know, you're, you're kind of taught that, you know, you go to college, you get this six figure job and, you know, you're well on your way. So my focus was, I need to get my MBA because I need to be in a career where, you know, I'm making all of this money. And so Mm. when I, after I got my MBA and one of my internships was uh, with a consulting company in finance, I just absolutely hated it. I was like, there's no no way I could do this for the rest of my life. (laughs) (laughs) And so then I went back into buying. Ah, how did you then think through the leap into entrepreneurship? Because you had made that big investment in an MBA. I did, right? So, um, so I want to say the time between I got my MBA and then started entrepreneurship was probably that was probably I want to say five, six years. So I had went back into buying for some time before I even put my, you know, foot in the water of entrepreneurship. And honestly, it's because I had moved away from the fashion side of buying. So I was no longer, you know, at a Saks or, you know, a, a Tiffany, things like that. I had moved into what's called hard lines. So um, companies are essentially kind of broken up into soft lines and hard lines. So soft line is clothing, home decor. Um, You know, you can think of it as like things that are, you know, on the softer side of goods. And then hard lines is like consumer electronics, um, hardware, the not necessarily sexy stuff. And so (laughs) I had moved to the not so sexy side, again, money being the motivator, Mm. because when you think about, um, what's called big box. So the, the large retailers, the target Walmart, home Depot, you know, those are big box retailers. So a big box retailer is going to have more stores. So, you know, you're talking, 1200 stores, 1500 stores, mm. where someone more niche like Saks is like 50 stores. So think about the, the, the revenue that the business is making based right. on that. So big box usually pays more. So I moved to the big box side of business, which is when I was at Sears office Depot, things like that. Um, again, money being the motivator, but it wasn't the the sexy side. It was, you know, I was a buyer for batteries and um, tools and, you know, things like... <laughs> but I <laughs> like, have to 
imagine you learned a lot from having covered so many parts of the buying industry. Definitely. Yeah, I definitely, when it comes to, you know, if I ever did want to go back into the the space, my, my, you know, range of categories is is pretty, um, pretty intensive. So I've covered everything from fashion to, like I said, consumer electronics, batteries, um, you know, home security. So as I moved, the further I moved away from kind of having that creative outlet was the more that I thought about what else could I be doing that, you know, I love that, you know, brings me purpose and joy and that essentially that, you know, I know how to do. So I know how the business of fashion and retail works, but I, you know, I wasn't, I didn't know anything necessarily about how to be an entrepreneur. So I just started to, you know, actually just do some research and I saw that it wasn't as hard to get started as people, um, you know, probably made it seem, I think mm-hmm. at the time, I want to say, I really thought that you need, I'm like, I'm going to need like $20,000, um, you know, to, to get started. And then once I started researching, I'm like, okay, you don't need that much. You know, you, you don't, you don't need that. Um, you know, that, that some people would spend that, but you can do that as you grow. So I would just start to, um, take from my salary because I was still working in corporate and invest that into my business. So, Mm. so at what point did you reach that fork in the road where you decided to take that very first step in launching your own online boutique? Yeah. So I, um, started the process in 2015. Um, so that's when I had begun researching Um, I want to say this was probably around the summer of 2015. And then I, um, got my LLC and called kind of all the foundational stuff in October. And so I like to, um, I essentially like to work backwards. So Mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure I had enough time to have my, you know, my business paperwork, get, get all the things that I needed. Um, you know, the website ready inventory and all that. So I had set a date of eight in April of 2016. And then I kind of worked backwards from that, you know, from between that October to that October, 2015 through April, 2016 period of kind of just like everything that needed to be done. In the interim between starting your own boutique and then now running a successful boutique, you've also started to teach others how to do the same thing. So today I really want to share the benefit of your expertise and your hard work with my audience because sidepreneurship and creating multiple streams of income, it's just become a big focus for people, especially given the economic downturns we're having. So today I want to walk through how my audience can build their own online boutique from A to Z. But before we get there, I also wanted to get a little bit of background on the part of your journey I think could get interesting because at a point your boutique made the brand switch from Bella Rosa to Shift Style House. Mm -hmm. Could you share what brought that about and what lessons you learned from that change? Yeah, for sure. So, um, my mom's name is Rose. So it was like me trying to incorporate her name into the name. Um, so it was always like Bella Rosa, Bella Rosa, Bella Rosa. But when I started again, like I, 
I know all of like the, the business side of fashion and retail, but I didn't necessarily know things of like who your ideal customer, you know, is obviously as a buyer, like, you know, depending on the category that you're buying for, you have, you know, customers that shop that, but I didn't connect the dots. So when I first started Bella Rosa, it was really just, you know, me, I'm, I'm going to just start, you know, I'm going to start and we're going to see, you know, how it goes. So after I want to say, well, I made the switch in 2017 or 2018. Yeah. 2018. So about two and a half years, um, operating as Bella Rosa and things just kind of, you know, moving slowly, not, you know, not bad, but definitely not getting consistent sales of where I could have left my job where I could have supported myself. Um, I was like, something is not, you know, something is not, something is not connecting here. Something is, is, I'm missing something. And so I invested, I invested in coaching. I invested in, um, somebody, you know, people that could see, um, you know, the business from the outside looking in versus me only being the one to have eyes on it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we just, just through, you know, working together, just, you know, kind of identify like, okay, this whole thing needs, you know, just needs, needs a lift. Like you have a good foundation. I had customers that were buying. I had people that, you know, were supporting, but making the shift <laughs> to shift style house really just elevated the brand because having, for me, having, um, boutique in a name is, is very cliche. Um, mm. I don't even, I don't advise that, um, you know, especially when you're, when you're beginning, like you do not have to have boutique, you know, in your name all the time. And so I, I you would see, you see that so much. And so style house just elevated the brand. It, uh, it allowed it to not be in a, in a box of just being a boutique. If I want to, um, expand into men's or home decor, mm -hmm. it's, you know, all of these other things that I can put under this umbrella and then shift really. Um, so one of the things we just really honed into who my ideal customer was, and that took months like of doing, you know, research surveys, talking to customers and really, um, me drilling down into the woman who I was serving. And once that happened, and then I was able to speak, you know, directly to that person, I was only speaking to her. And so once I was able to serve her, then again, that's really when the shift happened is, is just, it just really just elevated and just changed the brand. Honestly, it, um, was probably the best business decision I made. I'm not telling everybody to go rebrand, but if you need to, don't be afraid, mm. you know, don't be afraid to, if it's going, it's scary. Like I was like, I'm not changing my business name. I had just paid for my trademark. I think like I had and just invested in so much prior to that. Um, but you know, looking back two two plus years later, like I'm so glad that I did. So with the benefit of hindsight, if you were to start your own online boutique today, what would be step one? Because I think what you're saying is you need to do it correctly from day one in order to see that success as you grow and you invest. So what would yeah. that first step be for you? So that first step um, for me in hindsight will really be one kind of looking at 
kind of twofold. One kind of looking at any gaps in the industry. So obviously, yes, there are a lot of, you know, online stores. There are a lot of places that, you know, people can shop from, but really kind of identifying how can I insert myself into this industry differently? You know, what do I see um, missing that I can, you know, carve out my own little, little pie um, within this space. So that would be the first thing is kind of really identifying, you know, where you can serve in the market. And then two is understanding who you actually want to serve. So many, um, new online boutique owners do not start with identifying who their ideal customer is. They mm-hmm. start with, Oh, I'm about to launch this cute boutique. Everybody's going to shop. And then reality sets in and they're like, okay, people aren't buying. Um, and it's because for some reason, um, just within the mindset, it's that, well, it's closed. So everybody buys clothes. Right. So I'm going to sell to everybody. And that's not how it works. You really so, need to identify who you want to actually serve. Tying this back to the way you have your shift style house set up today, your main focus is the modern day Renaissance woman. How did you arrive at that niche of the market? Again, it with, with me, so mine is a little different because I already had an existing customer base. So I could, um, you know, do research with them that, you know, sending them questions, surveys, things like that to really mm-hmm. kind of dig into what they wanted. I would say for somebody starting out, you want to kind of do that with the person that you feel identifies who your ideal customer is. So, you know, an exercise that I have clients do is, okay, if somebody were to represent your brand, it doesn't have to be a celebrity, you know, if somebody were to actually represent who would that person be, and then kind of look at the traits and characteristics of that person Mm, and what they like to do, because it's, it's more than just, you know, who a person is, it's you taking into account their lifestyle their, you know, their demographics, their HHI, their household, you know, their, their household income, um, you know, things like that. So for example, if you are selling women's clothing and your price points are, you know, $75, $100, um, you know, so you're kind of, in the, in the higher, not higher, like couture pricing, but you know, you're, you're higher, but you're targeting college women. Right. Mm -hmm. So then you have to think is a college student going to really pay, you know, this price. So that's kind of the things that you have to think about when you're connecting what you're selling to who you're selling it to. You know what I mean? So it's, if, if, you're selling the college students, then, okay. So you might want to be on the, you know, the lower fast fashion kind of side of things where, you know, pricing might be a little cheaper. Um, they might, you know, they might just be looking for tees and things that they can wear, you know, to class versus if you're trying to, if you're selling more professional clothing, but you don't realize that you're targeting 18 year olds, then <laughs> that would mean, you know, do you understand? So no, that makes there's, there's a sense. disconnect. So, so once so you have honed in on your niche and who your target market is, 
what do you do next? Do we jump straight to branding and website? Because I know that's the fun part people want to dive straight into. Yeah, that's always the the sexy part that people <laughs> that people just love. And oh my God, it's it's all of this cute stuff. Um, but once you kind of have that, um, definitely make sure you get your the foundational piece, you know, the the legal aspects, because there's a lot of people out here that, you know, don't even have legal businesses. Mm-hmm. And so if we just kind of backtrack, once you've decided, like, hey, this is what, you know, I am going to to start, um, you know, I am going to do this, then, you know, you want to get your LLC or your S corp, that kind of legal stuff, Mm -hmm. um, set in foundation because quick sidebar, just what I've noticed with a lot of entrepreneurs during this, during the pandemic, a lot of them weren't able to get, um, you know, the, the, the funding that the government was providing for business owners because, they weren't legally a business, mm. you know? So you want to make sure you have your foundation in order, make sure your house is in order first thing. So then once you, you know, identified your ideal customer, then yes, you want to look into, you know, what the feel of your brand is going to be. So it's more than a logo and pretty colors. It's, you know, how does that translate? Different colors mean different things. So how does that actually translate to who this person is that you are selling to. Mm-hmm. So you want to, you know, you don't want to just, I, I strongly recommend, um, you know, working with a professional graphic designer because they can translate your thoughts into what the look and feel of your brand is going to be because certain fonts evoke certain things, mm-hmm. you know, my thought is very specific Um, you know, the way that my designer, um, I mean, I, I, I'm just so in love with my logo, but, um, you you know, the the eye is slanted, you know, for a reason and just, you know, the typography, all of that stuff matters. So I definitely, um, advise working with a graphic designer. Um, you know, if you can't, when I first started, I will say this, when I first started, I did not. And my logo was, it was pure trash. Oh no. Um, It was horrible. So. (laughs) And yet people were still buying from you. Exactly. For me, it's like, just invest upfront. You know, all of these mistakes that I made is, is why I started, you know, my program breakout fashionistas, because, okay, these are all the things that I wasted money on Mm -hmm. (laughs) that I ended up having to fix anyway. So, you know, just do it, just, you know, do it right from, from the jump. So, you know, from kind of the branding piece, then, yeah, you want to get into, you know, your, your website, all of that stuff, your, the platform that you want to actually sell on. I recommend Shopify. They actually have like a 90 day free trial going on right now. So, Mm. um, that is my preferred platform. Correct me if I'm wrong, but maybe the biggest pieces, once you've gotten all those foundational pieces where you exist as a business, the biggest hurdles for people would be how to source those products at a price point that allows them to earn a good margin. And then also how to advertise and bring in the clientele. Is is that right? Are those the big hurdles people tend to face? Yeah, definitely. So, um, always getting people to actually buy from you, um, you know, is, is probably the biggest issue that most, most existing 
boutique owners have. And then being a new boutique owner is, Mm -hmm. well, it's, it's kind of building that up. So honestly, like in the, in the interim, while you're doing all this foundational stuff, like everything is a moving part. Mm -hmm. So while you're doing all this, you should, you know, obviously have already, you know, build, um, had a social media page and you are building your audience there. So, you know, you're building your following, you're building your email list, even if you haven't launched. So that's a question that I always get as well. Should I be posting and I haven't launched anything yet? Yes, you should. Because when you launch, who are you launching to? Mm -hmm. So you should still be doing these types of things. And in terms of advertising, um, you know, you want to have quality content. Do not use vendor images. If anybody, you know, if you don't follow me, um, that is something that I always preach. We don't do vendor images and vendor images. Um, you know, when, when if you're just kind of learning, um, once you have kind of all of your foundational stuff. So once you uh, have your proof of business, then you're able to go to wholesalers and suppliers to get to source product. Um, and sometimes on their sites, they have images of the product that they take. Mm. So many times what, you know, the cheap route is to just use those pictures. Um, and that's what a lot of people do is they just take the pictures from the vendor website. And I, I that that's just a no. Big no, um, no. <laughs> well, because it's usually not quality imagery. Um, I've had customers, you know, specifically tell me that they've shopped with me because they see that I invest in product photography um, because they can actually see how the image looks on somebody that looks like them. So, Mm -hmm. you know, many times the person that is represented in the vendor image isn't even who your ideal customer is. So, you know, that's a turnoff for potential customers. So you definitely don't want to do that. You have to provide, you know, some quality, some quality content, things that are shareable, that are savable. It doesn't always have to be, you know, your product images, share some style tips, share some, you know, different ways you can wear, you know, pieces or what the, you know, the spring and summer trends are. You have to bring your the ideal customer into this lifestyle. It's, it's a, it's a lifestyle and social media is just the visual representation of that, that lifestyle. And that's what's going to get people off of your social media page onto your website. Mm. So let's talk numbers then from a margins perspective, how expensive or how much of an upfront investment does it take to launch an online fashion boutique. And when you start to think about the bottom line, what are some of those ways that you can widen your margins from sourcing at the right places to advertising in a way that brings more people into your funnel? What do you advise on that front? Yeah. So I would say, um, I would say initial investment when I, when I started, um, probably was between like two to 3000. But again, that's going to depend on, and it doesn't have to be that. I know people that have, you know, launched with 500, with a thousand, but one is going to depend on what you're selling. So if you're a sell, if you're an accessories boutique, obviously accessories are cheaper than, you know, than clothing. So you might not have to, you know, buy as much inventory, which I don't 
recommend buying a bunch of inventory when you're first starting out anyway. There's not necessarily a set number. I always say for clothing, you want to make sure you have between maybe eight to 12 pieces. Um, because that, that will usually, you know, fill a, fill a page on a website to, you know, look full, um, and look presentable. Mm-hmm. Um, the same can go, you know, for accessories, but you can probably do a little more again, just because accessories are cheaper. But again, don't go and just, you know, buy everything that you see. Because again, that's something else that most new boutique owners do is they buy a lot of what they like versus what that ideal customer mm-hmm. would like. So you have to always remember that it's not about you. It's about your customer. So there are things that, you know, I brought into shifts that I, I would never, you know, I would never wear. However, this is something that my ideal customer would wear. So you always have to remember um, your ideal customer and keep, keep her or him at the forefront when you are making inventory decisions, but don't go, you know, crazy and buy, especially when you're first starting out, because you're not necessarily going to know what your customer loves yet. Mm -hmm. So you buy a variety of pieces, you know, maybe you, if you're buying eight, um, you know, eight different pieces, then maybe you buy two dresses, you know, two tops, two bottoms, things like that to kind of give a variety. And then once you see what they gravitate to, then you would start to, you know, invest heavier Got in it. that. So if Got you it. see that, okay. So I saw that the, the sets were, you know, selling two times better than, you know, dresses. The next time I, you know, purchase, maybe I'll buy four sets this time, mm-hmm. you know? So it's, it's kind of thinking strategically like that in terms of how you actually build up to what your, you know, what your customer is going to purchase and spend with you. I know when you're first getting started, you're not necessarily able to buy inventory at a volume that will get you the lowest prices. So how would you recommend people go about sourcing um, and negotiating prices that are favorable to their small boutiques? Right. So, um, a few, a few ways to think about it. Well, the, the largest places to go source is, is magic, which is the largest trade show in the country. It's, um, held twice a year in Las Vegas. You can just Google magic trade show. It's usually in February and well, they moved it this year due to COVID. So it's at the end of September, but it's typically in August. And that's where all the suppliers are. That's where all, you know, the wholesalers, vendors, it's where everybody goes to, you know, see the, the collections for the next season. And yes, you are starting small. So you aren't buying, you know, heavy in volume, but that that's okay. Um, you know, still, if if you can get 50 cents off of a pack, if you, you know, if you can get a quarter off, (laughs) just make the ask, um, you know, always still just, just, you know, make the ask, but you want to look at your pricing in terms of kind of, again, working backwards. So what are your, you know, what are your sales goals? What are you, what are you, you know, trying to make as a, as a business? And if a, you know, if something cost 
X price and you know that you're going to market it up, you know, two, three times with the markup is your one, is your customer going to pay that? You know, so again, that's back to understanding everything's mm-hmm. going to go back to your ideal customer. So is your customer actually going to pay that? And if they aren't, then you may need to find another vendor who has something maybe similar, um, you know, something similar, but for a lower price so that you can hit your ideal customer's price point. That makes perfect sense. But I also wonder if the everyday person starting their boutique today is going to have access to the magic trade show like you did. Did you have access because you were already in that world from a professional standpoint, or is this something that everyone can have access to? So I knew about magic obviously because I was a buyer. So I used to have to go Mm -hmm. as a buyer. However, that's why you have to have that foundation in order um, <laughs> so that you can prove you are a legal business. And yes, if you are a legal, um, you know, online boutique, if you have a, a brick and mortar, you can go to magic as well. So it's not exclusive to just, you know, corporate retail buyers. It's for people that are in, you know, that are small business owners that are on the wholesale side that are on the sourcing side. So so it just boils down to doing your research and making sure that once you get there, you have a plan about who you're going to go to and how you're going to maneuver and negotiate. Exactly. And you're going to, and you're going to have a budget. So, you know, mm-hmm. I always set, you know, set a budget, you, you have a buy budget and you're going to set a budget before, before you go. If you see vendors on, you know, that first day and you've already spent up your budget, <laughs> <laughs> then, you know, you, that's not something you want to do. So I never suggest, unless it's something that you just know your ideal customer is going to go crazy for. Like I never place my orders on the first day of the show. I always kind of do a run through, um, walk around, make notes, and then come back on the second day to see if, you know, I'm still in love with it. And then I'll actually place my order. Yeah, see, that's a good approach. So now on the other side of the spectrum, how do you get in front of as many customers as possible when you're first starting out? Yeah, so again, it goes back to posting, you know, quality content. Um, Posting quality content, when you're first starting out, you know, your friends and family are going to be the ones that, you know, are supporting you. So, So it's, you know, them sharing and things like that. And once you, if you have the budget, which is why I say it's, you know, it's good to, to start out with maybe two to three K if you can. So if you have the budget, then you can do things like, you know, run ads to your mm-hmm. social media page. You can run ads to your landing page to get the traffic to your site um, so that you're getting more eyes on your business. Um, some people have asked me in terms of should I pay for advertising on other pages. Um, and again, to me, it's going to depend on if that page, like for, for me, for my audience, um, I wouldn't go buy an ad on the shade room. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. some people will buy ads just because they see that a a site has a large platform. So you see, well, this page has millions of followers. Followers does not translate into sales. So if you say that again for the people in the back, (laughs) (laughs) it does not translate into sales. So 
it's if there is a page of, you know, someone that has your ideal customer, or if there is a influencer that has an audience of your ideal customer, then those investments make sense. But if you are just buying on random pages, just because you see a high follower count, I don't advise investing in that because you can go pay for, you can go run a Facebook ad and use that money to run traffic to your own page and then actually have the data to be able to do further things in your business, like, you know, run retargeting ads and things like that. So, so when you think about the impact that posting quality content, word of mouth and Facebook ads have had on the growth of your business, which one would you advise people focus on first? Oh, that is a great question. That is a really good question. Okay. What did you say? Word of mouth, quality content, or like running ads, running Facebook ads, retargeting ads, things of that nature. I would say definitely quality content. Really? First, because here's the thing. If you're running ads, but your social media page sucks, then they're not going to follow you anyway. And they're not going (laughs) to buy. Good point. Good point. (laughs) So, you know, again, for me, like I don't, I get, you know, a a nice percentage of sales from Facebook and Instagram. But for me, that's just the, that's just kind of a visual house for them to, you know, kind of see what my brand represents. And if you don't have that, like if I go to a page right now and it's all over the place, like I can't follow the flow. I don't know what you sell because one day is closed. The next day is some flat tummy tea or whatever the latest tea is Then I'm not going to follow you. Cause I'm not going to think you're a real business or that you're serious about your business. So mm. when you have that visual representation of what your brand is, the look and feel I'm going to hit follow because I'm like, Oh yeah, this page is a vibe. I love this. I love the content, you know, that they're putting out. So I definitely say quality content because again, you can go pay for an ad on somebody else's page and then they come to your page. And again, if it, if it looks horrible, they still aren't going to follow, but they still aren't going to follow, nor are they going to click the link in your bio to go to your website because it, most times if your social media page looks a hot mess, then your website probably does too. Mm. So I definitely say start with that, you know, start with that quality content because you can use, you know, hashtags are, are huge. Hashtags still work. Hashtags still work and are still very relevant when you're so posting your social media content. So you should also be making sure that you are using hashtags that are relevant to what you're posting so that you are getting eyes onto your page, into your business. On this platform, we've talked a lot about the value of being the face of your brand and letting people know the story of the person who is behind the brand. And looking across the industry at a lot of online boutiques who are successful, I see that as a trend. What impact do you think you being in the photography, you modeling for your own brand and being outspoken for your own brand has had on your ability to grow it? It's definitely had a huge impact. It definitely has. I think that, you know, people want to connect. People want authenticity. People want transparency. Mm-hmm. As the saying goes, I'm, I'm sure you've heard people purchase from, you know, who they know, like, and trust. So if before, when I actually, when I was, when it was Bella Rosa, 
I did not want to ever like be the face. I was like, I always want to be the behind the scenes because as a buyer, that's who we are. You don't see who the buyers are. Mm-hmm. Most people don't even know who buyers are. They don't realize that, you know, at their favorite stores, somebody specifically picked that product at that price in that color to go in that store at your location. People don't, you know, they don't, they don't think like that. So I have always been behind the scenes. I have never, you know, wanted to be in the, the forefront or anything like that. And that used to be my mindset. It's like, oh no, I'm in the background. And you know, sales reflected that. But as I started to do more speaking engagements and talk more and and share my story more and, and I still don't necessarily like doing photo shoots with shift. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I don't, I hate it, but it's, and, and that's only because, you know, with my background in styling, I need to make sure like when it's me shooting, I can't see what's on the camera. So if, mm. if something isn't laying right, or that's not how I want it to, you know, to look, I can't go and fix that. So that that's my only, but I do it if I have to. And so I think that, you know, just being comfortable with no, you don't, you don't have to be the face you, you, if you want to invest in, you know, models and hire models, you definitely can. But I think it's important to know that you do need to pop out. I, I always say this, like I pop out every now and then. So I do think it's important to understand that you do need to share who you are, um, why you started this business, you know, who you're serving, why you're serving them so that people can, can resonate with you and, and, and get to know you. So it has definitely, um, impacted sales tremendously, you know, in a great way because people, you know, I've had, I've had customers I've never met that say, I just want to, you know, I just want to support you. I just believe in your vision and, you know, I I see what you've been doing and I just want to support, you know, so if they don't know you, if they don't know your story, then they can't do that. Now for anyone listening who is excited to either launch their online boutique or try again if it didn't work out before, how can they work with you? I know you have a couple programs going. I do. So my main, um, my main program is Breakout Fashionista and it will be relaunching in July, in mid-July. You can go to bit.ly slash B-O-F-V-I-P. And the link is also in my, in my social media bio, but um, that's to get on the wait list for the program. So Breakout Fashionista is really, like I said, I wasted so much money doing the wrong things when I first started. Um, you know, I didn't know about Facebook ads. I didn't know about email marketing. I didn't know about ideal customers. So all of these things that I spent thousands and thousands on trying to figure out, mess up, figuring it out again, um, is what I teach in Breakout Fashionista. So it really is the A to Z if you are, if you have not started yet, you know, there, there's a roadmap for you. If you are an existing owner, but you are stuck and struggling, there's a roadmap for you. If you are, you know, at an expert level, you are making, you know, sales in your business, but you're just really ready to scale. You're, you're ready to grow that. You might be ready to go into a retail store if that's your, you know, your aspiration. So there are different levels for where you are in your business because I can speak to all of those levels. I've either worked in it, I've, you know, done it myself as a boutique owner. So I understand again, all aspects. And that's what 
most boutique coaches don't have. You either have a coach who, you know, might have the retail background, but they aren't a boutique owner. You might have a boutique owner who has had great success with their boutique, but they don't understand that corporate side of retail because they don't have that background. So with me, you are getting the best of both worlds because I spent over 12 years as a corporate buyer and fourth year as an entrepreneur running my own boutique. So definitely, um, you know, sign up for the wait list again, that link is in my social media page, or you can just go to bit.ly slash B-O-F-B-I-P. Jasmine, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your story today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Hi, Offscripters. I'm so glad you made it to the end of this episode. If you enjoy listening to our show, please pay it forward by sharing us with your network. Between episodes, you can find me on Instagram. Our handle is at She's Offscript, or you can catch up on past episodes at She's Offscript.com. See you on the next one.